0: Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage. It's brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Also, you can support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmclanahan.com. You can get one of my books. Wherever books are sold online, just do a search for me. Of course, the most recent two are The Jeffersonian Tradition and Southern Scribblings. Both are awesome books. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. That's how we grow the audience. That's how we get more people engaged in that particular mindset. And we need it. We need it really badly in looking at what's going on in the world right now and, of course, in the United States. The more we can do to think about our communities and the people around us first and foremost, the better off we're going to be. And I want to talk today, we've got Joe Biden's State of the Union address tonight. So I want to talk today about what people have advised him to do. Now, this advice is a little over a week old because at this point, we've got this nasty mess in the Ukraine, and we've got war drums and everything else pounding. So I think that's going to be a dominant part of the State of the Union address. But before that, before we had this situation... There was a lot of discussion about what Biden should say about mandates, the pandemic, the economy, everything else. And I find this fascinating because uh, on, I think it was MSNBC, you had uh, a pollster, Luntz, and then several Democratic operatives. And they were trying to figure out what Joe Biden should say on March 1st to persuade the American public that he's doing a good job that uh, Joe Biden's in control, that Joe Biden's got this. And I found it fascinating because one of the, one of the individuals brought up a, a bit of advice from David Axelrod. Now, David Axelrod, if you don't know, was one of Obama's chief advisors. And well, I think what, what all these people miss about Obama, and it has to be said, if Obama was anybody else, uh, Obama would not have won. Now, Obama was able to capitalize because of race on a large percentage of the Democratic base and mobilize them to a point where they would vote for Obama. Something that didn't happen for Joe Biden, and I don't think it's going to happen in 2022 or 2024. The progressives are already starting to splinter. We know that uh, Talib is going to give the progressive response to Joe Biden's State of the Union address. I mean, I find this fascinating. The progressives are basically saying look we're not we're not part of this centrist so to speak democrat party uh you know joe manchin they're really upset with him but the fact is we're starting to see a splinter in the left just like we see it in the right at times you've got the centrist neoconservative strausians and look the strausians for all they say they're in the center and and i know that they've taken a stand on some issues that Uh, paleo-conservatives or old-right people would have supported for a long time. But when when your base is Lincoln, you're in the center, and and you're going to find common ground with the leftists in the center on a variety of issues. So we'll see. I mean, you've got the neocons out there banging the war drums just like the Democrats are. So we'll see what happens with all of this. But the fact is... Uh, The advice given by Axelrod, or or I should say this about Obama. Look, race was a major contributing factor to Obama being elected. You can't deny it. Uh, And so if Obama's anybody else, I'm not so certain he wins as in a large majority as he does. Maybe he wins still, but uh, not like he did. So Axelrod is, is speaking from a place of, well, this is what we did in the Obama administration. This is what Obama did. Obama had political capital because Obama could just essentially say that, well, if you don't vote for me, you're a racist. I mean, this is what it comes down to. So the fact is Axelrod's advice is always a little bit suspect. But here he gives advice, and I'm going to read this New York Times editorial. He gives Biden advice and says, look, what you need to do is act like Jimmy Carter. Now I want to I want to break this down in a couple of different ways. First of all, the panelists went, "Oh my God, no, 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 no!" They're shaking their head. You can't be Jimmy Carter. You can't be Jimmy Carter. You can't do that. Well, let will get us Ronald Reagan, and that was the that was the point. Well, is is Biden going to give us Reagan? Is Biden going to give us Newt Gingrich? Is Biden going to give us that? Well, I think right now, with the mood of the United States and people, Democrats are retiring like crazy. They know it. The bloodbath for the Congress in the elections is coming. Um, and the left is hoping that this new engage this new activity here in the Ukraine will somehow rally people around Biden. But I think most Americans are going to look at that situation and say that's not our business. And all of the one thing that I think is beautiful about what the Ron Paul people and others have been able to do is highlight American imperialism. And the American public, is not going to tolerate this self-righteous, congratulatory spirit. Hey, look, we're the good guys. We're the self-righteous moralists. We've never done any of this. When there's so much example, so many examples of the United States getting involved in regime changes and toppling governments and everything else, for about a century, right? So I mean, this is this is the over a century, right? Over a hundred years we've been doing this. So this is where Americans, all this, you know, all, all the the Democrats running around saying we got to stop Putin. Uh, the, the fact is the United States has been doing much of, the, much of this stuff since the late 19th century, okay? Perhaps even, I mean, if you look at some things that happened maybe even before that, but regardless, that's where this self-righteous moralism just doesn't have any credit, any weight with Americans, I think. And so you're going to certainly see Americans rally around. I've seen it on On social media, we need a grant. We need a Sherman to go in there and take out that dictator Putin. I mean, this is just stupid. But this is why, again, Lincoln is such a problem in American conservatism because they think somehow that you know this is all about rah rah. uh, Go out there and take out the bad guys, and the bad guys are always it's always an amorphous bad guy, and then it's always this you know we always have to have the bad guy here and the bad guy there. The bad guys are are not even human anymore. They're just you know things we got to take out. But I want to get back to Jimmy Carter because I think that the advice given by Axelrod is interesting. And it's interesting because the Jimmy carter Malay speech, which I find to be a fascinating speech, it was actually written by Pat Cadell. Pat Cadell was a Southerner. And Pat Cadell was a blue-collar kind of Southerner who had his, had his finger on the pulse of the heartbeat of mainstream, or I should say, middle-class America. Pat Cadell was advising Donald Trump in 2016. And of course, Pat Cadell died uh, before the, the 2020 election. But Pat Cadell was advising Donald Trump then. I wrote a little piece about it. It's in, it's in uh, one of my books. And um, Pat Cadell knew that Americans, for the most part, were hard-working, blue-collar people. And when you read the Malay speech, it's not... Of speech that's critical of Americans in that um, you're all bad people. Essentially, what he says is, you know, look, hey, I, this is bad. Carter actually said, "I feel your pain." Carter was the first one to say that it wasn't Bill Clinton; it was it was Jimmy Carter. I feel your pain, and in fact, that kind of of language resonated. More than people realize, the problem was Carter was seen as bumbling. He he fumbled around with the issue. He was supposed to give an energy crisis speech and then gave the malaise speech. And then he fired a whole bunch of people. And the public saw Carter as kind of out of control at that point. They didn't really know what to expect. It wasn't the speech. And I remember, I mean, I've talked to people that heard the speech and they thought, well, I mean, it was a you know decent speech. It wasn't that. And Bill Clinton capitalized this, on this, too, in 1992. His engagement with the public, you know, uh, when he would get up and uh, he would he would go to these town hall meetings and people would say, yeah, what about the economy? And Clinton would get up and say, well, you know, when, when people lose their jobs and they got factory jobs, I, I, f- I know those people. I've been traveling all around the country. I know these people and, and I feel your pain and, and I know what's going on here. So, so you got to vote for me because if you vote for me, I'm going to make sure that we get middle class jobs back and we do the right thing. That's what Bill Clinton was able to do. He was able to connect with people because he had a very blue-collar mindset. And so this Axelrod advice is actually, I'll say this, not bad advice to Joe Biden. I don't think Biden can pull it off because Biden is inauthentic. Now, people would say, well, Biden is authentic. And actually, Axelrod says that. I Look, Joe Biden is inauthentic as they come. The man is is uh, a, a charlatan. He is the worst kind of politician. Biden just wants power. It's all he's ever really wanted, and he'll tell lies to do it. His greatest lie, of course, is that somehow, of course, his family was, uh, was killed in a car accident, but the guy was drunk when it happened. It's not true. He wasn't. He tells a lie about this. He lies about the guy nonstop. So the fact is... Biden lies to gain political capital. He's not authentic. And anyone that's been around Joe Biden for any amount of time knows he's not authentic. That's the issue with Joe Biden. So I want to get into this. It's not a long uh, piece in the New York Times where we've got uh, Axelrod giving advice. This is February 14th, so Valentine's Day, 2022 by David Axelrod. Mr. Axelrod was the senior strategist on Barack Obama's 2008 campaign. So that's his that's his credentials. So Axelrod says, Right now, the White House is gearing up for the president's first State of the Union address. His speechwriters are churning out drafts, gathering guidance from strategists and senior aides, and contending with fervent pleas from every agency for the, of the federal government for a paragraph in the speech, even a sentence, about their good works. Now, this is amazing to me. You see, since the 1920s, nobody has written their own speeches. No one. No one's written their own speeches since the 1920s, and here we have this effort from the White House to have all these different people submit a sentence or a paragraph to highlight Biden's accomplishments. Now, if we didn't have the imperial presidency, none of this would matter. Biden's purpose in the State of the Union Address is not to champion himself It's to actually talk about what's going on in the United States. If you go back and read old State of the Union addresses, this is what happens. And I I did a podcast years ago uh, on on when Trump gave a State of the Union address, and I said, this is the State of the Union address that we should get. And I pieced together different parts of old State of the Union addresses, and they were beautiful, right? There were some policy pronouncements there. But the fact is, it wasn't to try to get people to support what the president has done it was simply to state these are our policies this is what we're doing and um, this is what we should be doing right it wasn't it wasn't a political campaign speech we didn't look at it that way and i went back of course into the early 19th century and i talked about these early state of the union the state of the union was simply stating to congress this is what we're doing and the fact is these state of the union addresses beginning with jefferson up until wilson were delivered to Congress in written form, and Congress read it. There was no grand ceremony where the president gets up there and and uh, like a king and delivers uh, you know his address like the queen would right when she demands the House of Commons come over and listen to her address. This is what we've gotten to. That's Woodrow Wilson that brought that back. Of course, Washington and Adams did it in person, and Jefferson said that's not Republican. That's monarchical. We don't want to do that. So from Jefferson all the way up through the early 20th century, we didn't have it up through William Howard Taft. We didn't have the president deliver their State of the Union address in person. It was Woodrow Wilson that changed all that because Wilson was a parliamentarian. He believed the executive should get down to the parliament, to the Congress, and give the speech there because he's a member of that legislative body in many ways. See, this was supposed to be a separation of powers. The president wasn't supposed to address the Congress in person like this. It's just stupid. This is what we've gotten to, though. And now, so you have this conglomeration, this Frankenstein thing that comes out that has to be this address from all these different ex- you know, federal departments, all this executive department bureaucracy has got to get involved. We're spending this, we're doing this, blah, blah, blah. blah. Who cares? So, looking at pollsters, looking at strategists, you know, all these things, fervent, please. Axelrod continues: The speech will command the largest television audience the president is likely to enjoy this year, and the temptation will be, as it always is, to herald his achievements and declare that we have navigated the storm. And I think Axelrod is right about that. You want to show that you are doing everything you can, and you've done. I mean, we were through these things. But Axelrod says, "But Mr. President, proceed with caution. Talk about the things you and Congress have done to help meet the challenges Americans are facing, for sure. Lay out your goals for the future, absolutely." Offer realistic hope for better days ahead. We desperately need it. But recognize that we are still in the grips of a national trauma. Polls show the vast majority of Americans believe we are on the wrong track and people have little patience for lavish claims of progress that defy their lived experiences. Look, I think this is actually pretty good advice. If you want to win people over at this point, if that's what Joe Biden's trying to do, then I think Axelrod is correct in this. And you've got all the Democrat talking. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, you you got you to you be, be Reagan here. you gotta, you got to be positive all the time. Americans don't believe Joe Biden. They don't. They believe that the establishment sits in Washington, D.C., and they don't know anything, and they don't do anything, and they don't care. And uh, that's where I think the, the Pat Cadell, I feel your pain, crisis of confidence speech, Was beautiful. It was a beautiful speech. I wrote a piece, "The Last Republican President," Republican lowercase r about Jimmy Carter, and I know a lot of people are hard on Jimmy Carter, and for rightly so. I mean, he he did some pretty stupid things in the executive as an chief executive, but the fact is, Carter was an authentic blue collar American, and he had that that aura to him. I mean, and Pat Cadell was the same thing. And the fact that speech was so good. When you've got Walter Mondale, the idiot, threatening to resign, that's, that is an odd endorsement of Pat Cadell. When, when Pat Cadell presented that speech and Jimmy Carter said, yeah, I think this is a good idea, and you had Rosalind Carter backing Pat Cadell and Jimmy Carter backing Pat Cadell and Walter Mondale says, I'm going to resign if you do this thing. I mean, great. Walter Mondale was a moron. If a moron doesn't like it, it's probably pretty good. So Axelrod says, even if we are objectively in a stronger position than we were a year ago, closer to the end of this ordeal than the beginning, Americans are not celebrating. Millions have lost loved ones. Many continue to struggle with the effects of the virus. Kids lost valuable time in the classroom, and parents have struggled to cope. Now, but Axelrod doesn't see, what is the root of all that? It's not a virus that's the root of all that. It's government, right? A lot of that part is government. Kids aren't in the classroom. Well, because government said they couldn't go there. People are struggling with side effects of the virus. There are some people that have gotten and got very sick. And, of course, a lot of people have died from this. So that is awful. But that was not, I mean, in, in some ways, uh, we've talked about how government, and, and certainly with things like mental health and others, government has made it worse. Healthcare workers are in crisis, and we have all felt the profound costs of our relative isolation away from family and friends, offices, and colleagues. So who did that? That was the government, right? That was governments doing that stuff. So what Joe Biden should do is say, you know, the government's really been a moron in all this. we got to do something different. He wants to win people over. It's taken an entirely different policy. But he's a boomer, and he's an authoritarian, and these people aren't going to do that. They're not going to admit they made a major mistake. But most Americans see it. They see it, and I don't think they're going to forgive the people, the establishment for this. And then Axelrod says, unsurprisingly, incidents of suicide, drug overdose deaths, and violence in our homes and in our streets have grown dramatically. Why? Because of government. Frustrations with masks, mandates, and shifting rules have deepened our political divides. Why? Because of government. Jobs have come roaring back, raising wages, but those wage increases have been eaten up by inflation. Why? Because of government. You see, Axelrod is not getting to the root of the problem here, which is government. He thinks we need more government solutions to all these things, and government created all the problems. That's the funniest thing. And, and I'm going to be covering the State of the Union Address, and I'll go through it for Wednesday's show. But Thursday, I'm going to talk about where government is really, I mean, they, they're surprised when what they do causes problems. Because there are a bunch of dopes, the likes of which we have not seen in four decades. And all the while, the rich have gotten richer. The State of the Union is stressed to claim otherwise, to highlight the progress we have made, without fully acknowledging the hard road we have traveled and the distance we need to go would seem off-key and out of touch. You simply cannot jawbone Americans into believing that things are better than they feel. Well, I do agree with that, but he's not going to get to the root of the problem. He's not going to say, look, my bad. You know what? The Democrats were just completely stupid. We shouldn't have wasted all that money. We shouldn't have spent all this money uh, because that money is causing all the inflation we're seeing all around us. We shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have gone into more debt. We shouldn't have gone out and and, uh, given people X amount of dollars every month and all these things. We shouldn't have done any of that. We shouldn't have locked anything down. We shouldn't have created mandates. We shouldn't have done any of these things. All of that was an unmitigated disaster, and my party's responsible, and you know what? You shouldn't vote for us. And you shouldn't vote for any Republican that was behind it or doing any of that either. You should vote and get all of us out, and that would be... You know what? If he actually did that, that would be an amazing speech. I I mean, I I would say... That is amazing. Yes, we should get rid of you and the entire establishment. But the other thing, you know what you should really do? You should get back to federalism and not pay attention to the federal government anymore. And if in your state you've got all these people acting like this, get rid of them too. At a news conference on the eve of his first anniversary in office, President Biden tried. He energetically sold a litany of achievements, record job growth, a massive and complex vaccine mobilization, a historic rescue act, and a landmark infrastructure bill forged with bipartisan support. I'm going to talk about that rescue act. Tomorrow, because a landmark fraud act is what it should be called. He did acknowledge the trials this country has endured, but only sparingly. He got the emphasis and proportions wrong, spending more time pitching his success and touting progress than he did recognizing the grinding concerns that have soured the mood of the country. Learned that lesson in the Obama White House at the height of the Great Recession. It's so funny how they call it the Great Recession. It was a depression, right? I mean... this this term recession came out of the FDR White House when we had a dip in 1937, an economic downturn. It was just a recession. It wasn't really depression. It was just a recession. Anytime you had a downturn, they called these things panics beforehand. But now we've got this term recession because it's not too bad. It's just a little dip. It'll come back. Well, anything will come back eventually, Even particularly if the government leaves it alone. It's going to bounce. It's going to rebound. The problem is when the government gets involved and tries to prop it all up, and then you have a harder crash. And even when it was, and even when it was technically and demonstrably over, the trauma from the cat- catastrophe ran so deep that gouty claims of progress met with an angry backlash from Americans still grappling economically and emotionally with its effects. We learned to pitch progress delicately, and always with a focus on the continuing struggles of the middle class as they tried to recover their financial footing from the crash and decades of shifting fortunes. Now, again, what Axelrod doesn't realize is that Obama was the problem here. The, not just Obama, but also Bush. The entire federal government was the problem here. They don't recognize this. They think they're saving things. Look at our accomplishments. Look at what we did. Look at This is all just stupid. Rhetorically and uh, substantively, Barack Obama made the cause of those Americans his focus and set up a deliberate contrast between himself and the Republicans that helped him win a second term in 2012. Look, I just talked about why Obama won two terms. If Obama's anybody else, he probably doesn't win in 2012. But he's able to mobilize vast numbers of people that would vote simply for one reason alone. And it's, I mean, I, I don't think you can get around it. Even if Omicron was... Wave, even the Omicron wave, I'm sorry, has greatly receded by the time Mr. Biden speaks. Which may be that what the White House was hoping for when he, when his address to Congress was delayed until March 1st. The lingering effects of the pandemic still will be with us. The nation it will still be in a funk, and its people will want to hear the president recognize why. It's not that Americans are yearning for a lugubrious speech, frightened, I'm sorry, frightened with lamentations about our damaged national spirit, spirit without a sense of direction or hope. Amid an energy crisis that triggered sprawling gas lines in 1979, President Jimmy Carter gave a remarkably introspective televised address in which he discussed the crisis of confidence that had gripped the nation and called for a sacrifice to change our energy future. It became known as the malaise speech, though Carter never actually used that word. And while it briefly lifted his standing, that's the thing. It did. People liked the speech. They liked the speech, but Carter was seen as fumbling around with what to do here. He got rid of people. He, just, he he didn't know what to do. And the background of that speech is amazing because Carter actually did what he said. He, he went out and he had group meetings with all kinds of people and talked to people and what are you really feeling out here? Right. So that speech was actually really good, but you got all the no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that for Carter. do don't, 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 don't go, Carter. His stark address, coupled with the firing of several cabinet members a few days later, ultimately deepened the political crisis he was facing. It's because the left didn't like him. And then, of course, you had Reagan come in, and he was he gave a very positive image. And, I mean, Carter's famous line when Reagan was uh, there delivering the keynote address when the Carter Presidential Library was open, and he made this fantastic speech, and Carter gets up and says, well, that's why he won. He was able to do that. Axelrod says, there's a balance to be struck. What Americans want to hear is genuine understanding of what we have been through together and, and a clear path forward. Less about Mr. Biden's accomplishments than about the heroic unsung sacrifices so many have made to see their families and communities through. They want to hear about, less about his transformative legisla- legislation than the specific practical steps Mr. Biden has taken and is recommending to help reduce inflation, curb violent crime, and of course, effectively confront any future waves of the virus. They want to be less about him than us. Now, this has been possible for Biden to do because he'd have no plan to curb inflation because Democrats can't. They just want to spend more money. Um, And he has no plan to confront violent crime because, well, Democrats can't because they've gotten... I mean, the progressives now control this, so they're never going to control crime. That's not the progressive agenda. Axelrod says, this should should come naturally to the president. From the beginning of his long political career, Mr. Biden's great strength has been his... Uh, his, his empathy born out of his personal tragedies and his ability to speak in authentic, resonant ways about the everyday challenges facing people in working-class communities like Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he was born and partly raised. Middle-class Joe is a nickname he earned over the years. I think plagiarism Joe is better because that's what I'll say he learned. A reflection of his values and sensibilities. Many national politicians speak the language of Washington. Mr. Biden at his best speaks American. Now he needs to find that voice by telling the story of the ordeal so many Americans have shared honoring their resilience and painting a credible, realistic picture of how we can all reclaim control of our lives. Well, I tell you how, Axelrod, you just get the government out, right? I mean, that's how you can reclaim control of your lives. You think locally, act locally. That's what you do. But of course, Biden's never going to give that address. I think this is, this is going to fall on deaf ears. Axelrod is right about this. Axelrod is kind of tapping into this populism that made Trump so successful. He's at least trying to. And Obama could do that at times. But Obama was inauthentic too. There's no one that's really been authentic about this. Jimmy Carter really was authentic. And so unless we have that, I don't think, I think it's, and, and you could say, well, Biden is, he's he's never been authentic. He's always lied. He's always been about power. Joe Biden just wanted to be president and he got it. He, he cut a deal. He got it. And so I, I think this is, um, this is why Biden is never, nobody's ever going to think of Biden as authentic. Uh, they look at him as as the career politician that he is. All right. So I found this little piece uh, interesting because of that connection to Carter. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.